So as Jacob said, my name is Aaron, and I just want to welcome you all here to City Light Mosaic Church. And I am excited. I'm excited to get into the Lord's word with you all this morning and to read from Revelation chapter 3 and see what we have to learn. And so let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Jesus, we, we come to you and we, we ask that through your word this morning that you would you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would turn our hearts back to you, that we would re- be reminded of our need for you and for your, your goodness and your loving kindness and your mercy in our life. Lord, thank you so much for just your continued goodness that we, we get to come together and gather um, as your body to, to read and to study. And so I just pray um, that you would speak to us, that you would bless us this morning as we read your word, and that you would use me um, to speak what you have for your church this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, Jacob taught on Revelation chapter 2. And through that, and the, the different letters to the different churches, he showed us that Jesus is among us, and he speaks his truth into our current realities. And this morning, we will continue along with that same thought and that same theme, only for this morning, the main idea is this. In your weakness, cling to Jesus. In your weakness, cling to Jesus. So there's a tradition among sailors to tattoo the words, hold fast on their knuckles. And typically, you will see this on a sailor who is very strong and, and it looks like a hardened sailor. Someone who, who seems like he could weather any storm because he has been tested and proven by a life at sea. Yet, no matter how strong or wise the sailor may be, he knows that the only thing that will keep him alive should a, a storm come across them at sea is to hold fast to the ship. His muscles and his knowledge of the sea do not stand a chance against the mighty ways of a storm at sea. And in the storm, the, real, the sailor realizes his weakness and his need for the ship to keep him alive. Today, as we read these last three letters to the churches, my prayer is that we would be reminded of our weaknesses and that that would cause us to cling to the only one who can save us who is Jesus. Now, before we begin, I have a little bit of a disclaimer. I am not going to be able to get into every single part about each of these letters. There are so, there's so much depth and meaning to what is going to be spoken to these churches through these letters, and I'm not even going to be able to get into every single verse. So, that being said, my challenge to you is to read and study this, these passages for yourselves, to take his word throughout this next week and to ask the Lord, would you show me what you want, want to speak to me, to your church through these passages and to really study and deep dive into these, these verses because let me tell you, you will not be disappointed. There is so much depth and richness to these passages. And then also, if you're not part of a city group, I would also encourage you to, to join one of those as well because in a city group, you will be able to also get the more deep dive study of these passages that we're just unable to do from the pulpit. And so I would encourage you to, to do those, those two things, to get into a city group and to study these passages for yourselves because 
like I said, there's a lot of depth and richness to what is in these passages. And I'd hate for you to miss out on it. So, let's now jump into Revelation 3 and verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the first message for us from this letter is this. Turn from your self-righteousness and cling to Jesus as your righteousness. Turn from your self-righteousness and cling to Jesus as your righteousness. So you know how when you're watching a TV program and with each new episode, they'll usually start out with a little recap at the beginning to show you what happened previously on the show. They do this so that you can remember certain things that are pertinent to what's going to happen in that episode and remember back to what happened before so you can connect the dots. So this is important because as we go through these cities, I'm going to need to do a little bit of a history lesson and a previously in dot 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 this city in order for us to fully grasp what's going on. Because for each of these letters into these cities, they were actual historical cities. And when Jesus was speaking to these churches through these letters, they understood what he was talking about because he had a personal, he would address personal things and reference stuff that they would understand as being uh, people who lived in those cities. For example, this letter is addressed to Sardis. Sardis was a very big and impressive city. It had what was known as an Acropolis, and which is essentially a large building that they would place at the center of their city to see approaching enemies. And from all appearances, Sardis looked as though it could never be defeated or overtaken. It had the best defenses and security that money could buy. Think of sort of a Fort Knox of the ancient world. Only the defenses were so well uh, put together and built up that the people would take it for granted and the guards would not set up uh, posts to guard areas that needed to be guarded because it had this huge rock wall that seemed no one could climb it and it, was, it seemed impenetrable. And so, but the unfortunate thing was because they didn't have those defenses in those areas, twice in Sardis's history, two different armies had overtaken them at night because they didn't have the appropriate guards in the right places. So now we see the significance of Jesus' opening statement to them. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are actually dead. Now, just like the city looked strong and secure, but actually wasn't, the church was actually weak and vulnerable to attack despite its appearances. 
we too can look at the things that we do, like going to church regularly and serving, attending a city group like throughout the week. And, and we can look at these things and the temptation is to think that because we do these things, we have favor in God's eyes because in the eyes of man, we're doing everything right. If we're not careful, instead of the gospel being where we find our foundation and our assurance and our security, we look to our strong defenses of our works instead of going to Jesus to be our strength. Look at what verse 2 says. It says, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So this means that they had all the right works and they did all the right things. Our works of righteousness, if they are done from a place of trying to earn God's favor or make us look good in man's eyes only, will always fall short and be incomplete in the sight of God. The reason is because while man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And since he looks at the heart, only when we turn our hearts and surrender to Jesus, accepting his free gift of salvation, are we then saved. And that's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For so many of us, we've known this. This is what we came to understand when we were first saved. Yet, as the hymn writer put it, our hearts are prone to wander, aren't they? We constantly fall back into the same trap of thinking our works or our own self-righteousness will keep us going to heaven. And Jesus is saying to us in that moment, just as he was saying to the church of Sardis, he is saying, remember, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So dear Christian, remember the gospel. Remember what it was that saved you, that it is by faith and grace alone that we have received so freely what Jesus gave for us on the cross. Repent of thinking that somehow your own works have made you more successful in making you righteous than the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that's not to say that our righteousness is not pleasing in God's sight. Our works of righteousness are pleasing in his sight, and there are plenty of verses that support that, but only when those works are begin and start in a foundation of recognizing our identity and that identity is in light of the cross. So recently I was talking with Todd about a teaching that I had done at another church in the City Light family and Todd was sharing that when I was doing that he noticed a difference in me in that day than was different from other days that I preached and he saw assurance in me that he was very noticeable that day particularly. And as I thought about it, there was a difference that particular day. And so I'm not a very outgoing person, and the thought of me getting up here in front of people often terrifies me. So that day, moments before I got up to preach, I was praying this simple prayer under my breath. I was saying, Abba or Father, I belong to you. And when I went up to preach... I suddenly had this overwhelming sense of assurance and security in my identity as a son. And the fear went away. And in that moment, I felt his pleasure. And it wasn't because I was preaching really well or because I had had a really perfect, righteous, holy week leading up to that moment. 
But I really believe I felt his pleasure in that moment because I was acknowledging and, and preaching out of a place as a son first. And then he was pleased because I was preaching from that place. And I understood that my identity was in Jesus. Not my works or my reputation before man, but in the fact that I have been saved because of what Jesus did for me. And I have been adopted into the family of God. And church, I want to encourage you this morning that if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is your identity. This is your, who you are. So going back to Sardis, the church who had put their security and assurance in their works. They had built up an identity and a reputation in the eyes of man that they were good, but in all actuality, they were dead. They had placed their own self-righteousness and their strength on an altar in the middle of their church for all to see. Just like the city had placed this giant building and structure of strength and security in the center of its city. But the answer to their problem and to, to the, the things that they were doing was found in the way that Jesus reveals himself to them in verse 1. He says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is in reference to the initial vision that John had of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 as the one who stood among the seven lampstands who, and the, those seven, seven lampstands were the churches. So the, the answer to their problem was to put Jesus right back at the center of their church and not this idea of works and reputation alone. And I encourage you to do the same this morning, that you would turn away from your own self-righteousness, of thinking that your works will make you more favorable in God's sight, and that you would return to a Christ-centered hope of the gospel, that it is his righteousness and his righteousness alone that saves Let's see what the next letter that Jesus has for his church says, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not my, denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. The message from Jesus for this church and for us today is this. Turn from your weakness and cling to Jesus as your strength. Now, this is not the same Philadelphia that you can go to right now and get a great cheesesteak sandwich. This was an ancient city that was just southeast of the last city, Sardis. And previously in Philadelphia, we find that the Jewish people had grown more and more antagonistic towards the Christians and the church, to the point of even throwing them out of the temple. Now, this meant for them that they could not receive protection from the Roman Empire that the Jews could. And it seemed as if all doors had been shut for them and they were left out on their own to defend themselves. Not only that, Jesus says that they were weak. They had little power in and of themselves to do anything of great value or it seemed from the world's perspective. Anyone with any bit of wisdom would look at their predicament and their circumstance and they would say, 
you, you have no shot, and, and no one would judge you if you were to throw in the towel. Yet, that's not the testimony of these Christians that Jesus shares. Instead, they had used what little strength they had to advance the kingdom in their city, despite insurmountable odds. When we encounter our weaknesses, it is so easy to give up and to give in. It is so easy to say, you know what, I'm not a super bold evangelist, so I can't share the gospel to this person, and so we don't speak up. Or, I'm not a smart theologian, so I don't have all the answers to this person who is suffering and, in, and who is in need of some encouragement, so I'm not going to, to help them. And whatever the inequality or lack you may be experiencing, it is so easy to use that as an excuse to not do something. So it makes me wonder, what was it that the church of Philadelphia knew that helped them to be faithful in spite of their weaknesses? And the answer is that they saw Jesus as the, sa the same way that he revealed himself to them in verse 7. They saw Jesus as the one who, despite their weakness, is the holy and true one. Who, despite the locked doors and being closed out of the temple and any type of protection, was the one who held the key and could open any door and have shut. When he shut a door, no one could open it. When we know that Jesus is enough for us, and in our weakness, he is our strength, it doesn't matter what is against us or how much skill we lack, because the holy and true one is on our side. And I love the promise that Jesus brings in his revelation to them in verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Jesus is saying that their enemies will actually come down and bow to them, but not because of anything that they have done, but because they see that the love of God in their life and in this church. So something I love to do is I love to watch videos where someone takes either a seemingly insignificant chunk of wood or an old rusty tool or something like that, and they will work on it, and they will create something beautiful out of it. And I love watching these videos because I love to see the transformation and the process. And as I'm watching these videos, while I'm intrigued by the process of this chunk of wood becoming this beautiful chair or something, what I'm more impressed by is not so much the object, but by the intention and the care that the person who is working on it is putting into it. While it may be a 10 to 15 minute video for me, it took this person hours of work and not only that intention and not to mention a lifetime of practice and work to hone in on their craft. Christian, in the same way, the transformation in our lives, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem to you at the time, is a beautiful picture of God's love for us. When the world looks on and they see the change in our lives, it is an excellent opportunity for us to share how the love of God and what he has done to work that transformation in our lives. And he gets the glory. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that it was because of God's great love for us, being rich in mercy, that he saved us who were once dead in our trespasses and sin. It was because of his great love for us. 
This is the love of the Father for us. And this is the great testimony that brings glory to his name. That we can share, just as the church of Philadelphia did. That in our weakness, we can cling to Jesus. And he, can be, he will be our strength. And he will get the glory. Now let's see what Jesus has to say to his church in the final letter. Picking up in verse 14. And to the church... And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So Jesus' message to this church and to us is this. Turn from looking for satisfaction in other things and cling to Jesus as your satisfaction. So previously in Laodicea, the city had been destroyed, been all but destroyed by an earthquake. When that happened, the Roman Empire offered to send support and money to help rebuild the city. Only the people of Laodicea had declined because they were actually rich enough in and of themselves to help to rebuild the city. Also, the city had lukewarm water. And the reason was is because it didn't have a natural source of water, but had to have water piped in from another city. And since the source was not local and was so far away from its natural source, the water had become lukewarm and actually made you sick when you would drink it. Now compare that to the cities closer to Laodicea, Hierapolis and Colossae. Hierapolis was six miles uh, north of Laodicea, and they had a natural spring of extremely hot water that was good for washing and for medicinal purposes. Colossae, on the other hand, was 10 miles east of Laodicea, and they had a cold, fresh spring water that came from the mountain that was good for drinking and, and um, was fresh for drinking. And so the water from these two cities were particularly helpful, while the water from Laodicea was not. This added, so just like the city of Laodicea, Laodicea had depended on its wealth, the church had found its sufficiency and its wealth in and of its own self and material possessions. This attitude meant that they had drifted away from their source, who was Jesus, and had looked to other things to satisfy their need. The result was the water, same as the water. They had become lukewarm and unuseful for the kingdom of God. And to be honest, I know that feeling all too well. I, I get to a place of just coasting and I can remember a time when I really depended on Jesus because my circumstances drove me to my need for him. But then as things begin to change and I become, to become more comfortable, I forget how desperately I once clung to Jesus and instead I just become uh, used to my comfortability, comfortableness and I, and, I, and I don't cling to Jesus as my source. And I lose my dependency on Jesus. I lose track of Jesus as my source and I begin to look to other things to satisfy me. Sure, I could go to Jesus and, and, and find strength and recharge after my really long, hard day. 
or I could sit on my couch and watch Netflix or scroll for a couple hours on social media or even go eat some comfort food. And before I know it, I have drifted from the source. And none of these things are evil in and of themselves, but I can so easily become entrapped in them and I forget my need for Jesus and that he is the one who satisfies my deepest longing and desires. I forget that I can come to him and to sit at his feet and to read his word and to speak to him in prayer. And if you find yourself in that place this morning, either losing track of Jesus as your ultimate source of life, or maybe you've never turned to him as your source before, let me exhort you the same way that Jesus exhorted the church of Laodicea. Verse 18 through 19 says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. He counsels them to forsake their dependency on other things that do not satisfy them and to buy his gold, white garments, and salve to anoint their eyes. And these all have spiritual connections. The gold refined by fire makes me think of the faith that is more precious than gold that God builds in us as we are tested by fires and trials in our life. And the white garments being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And finally, the salve when God opens our eyes to spiritual blindness. And I begin to wonder, though, what we are to use to buy these things. Because Jesus counsels them to buy these things. And suddenly, as I continue to read, of course, it clicked. In verse 20, let me show you what I mean. It says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So, the currency that Jesus is inviting them to use to buy these things is repentance. We've seen this word repent a lot this morning as we've studied these letters. And I really feel like here in this letter to the Laodicean church, Jesus is getting to the heart of what repentance is. We know that no thing that we can do will ever buy our salvation. The price of our salvation was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yet we can't miss the important connection here that Jesus is making with repentance and the receiving of these things here. In this invitation of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, I see the heart of repentance. You, you see, repentance is not just some work that we do. So often I can get it confused with thinking that repentance is me mustering up enough strength in myself to stop sinning so then I can turn back to God. But the heart of repentance here in this passage is that in the midst of our most sinful, broken, losing track of Jesus as our source moment, we can turn back to him who is knocking at the door and we can open that door and he comes in and dines with us. Do you see it? It's all about Jesus and going back to him as the source. Jesus is the initiator and we are only responding to the great love that he shows and continuing to to run after us in spite of us. In repentance, Jesus invites us into relationship with him, to dine with him at his banqueting table of love and mercy, 
as we turn from whatever it is that we have been chasing that was, that was different from him, and we look to him for our satisfaction and cling to Jesus alone who satisfies our every need. The works are the secondary part of coming back to him as the source. And this is the invitation for the believer who has lost track of the source and has looked to other things to satisfy our needs. The invitation to return back into that loving fellowship and communion with Jesus at his banqueting table. But I also want to give an invitation to those who have yet to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Jesus is calling you into relationship and communion with him. You see, while we were unable to save ourselves because of our sin, Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we never could, died the death that we deserved, and defeated sin when he rose from the dead. Jesus has made the way of salvation for you so that you can be in relationship with God. Will you turn to him? Will you repent from your sins and turn to Jesus and, and be received into his loving arms this morning as he is calling you to himself. I would encourage you to do so. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we're just so encouraged by your love for us and your continued mercy in coming after us in spite of us. Whatever we do, you continue to draw us to you. And... Um, we recognize our need for you. And so I just ask that from your word this morning, we would see that need and that we would cling to you as our strength, as our righteousness, and as our ultimate satisfaction. And that we would experience that, that love and communion with you as, you as you come in and dine with us this morning. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.